It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, mateys. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from Journal.com. And I'm Heather Artis from BlackPearlMinute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 40 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. You may have noticed that there is a shiny new finish on our show intro this week. Figured we really needed to add more homage to the original 1967 Pirates of the Caribbean ride, so I managed to get a clip, and with a little sound editing magic, voila! We now have some original Disneyland pirate action to introduce us and serve as a warning that all who listen are risking their lives. Meaning that they may die of shock at some of the things Heather forgets or says. Like the now infamous and little known dueling banjo spaghetti western genre. Also, I've thrown a bone to the new Dead Men Tell No Tales movie. The symbolism on the show runs like a pillaging pirate for sure. But still, I gotta come back to the dueling banjo spaghetti western genre. You said dueling. <laughs> we can't rehash. I'm just mentioning it in the opening. So as I trump you and say, let's get this show on the road. It's the highlight of my day. In the previous minute, Elizabeth Swan absorbs a backhand to the face from the tastefully scar-laden bosun, who completely forgot that it's simply not nice to hit a woman. But to his defense, Elizabeth did forget the golden rule. She is not supposed to speak unless spoken to. Or is it seen but not heard? Or is it say please and thank you? Maybe I'm getting these phrases all wrong all these years, so I guess I should say <laughs> sorry to Heather for perpetrating those rules upon you. Let's just say, ah, the antiquated 18th century. But to her credit, Elizabeth rapidly recovers and calls the good cop, bad cop bluff by demanding the Black Pearl leave Port Royal never to return. Never. And to the chagrin of all the grimy pirates, she threatens to drop the medallion into the dark, salty water. Arr. <laughs> Minute 40 begins with Captain Hector Barbosa and his shoulder-perched monkey approaching Elizabeth as she holds the medallion over the edge of the ship. Captain Barbosa responds to the threat by telling her, me holds are bursting with swag. That bit of shine matters to us? Why? A perplexed Elizabeth replies, It's what you've been searching for. The minute ends with Captain Barbosa turning to his crew saying with delight, Miss Turner. The crew follows suit and begins whispering, Turner, Turner. While Pintel adds a little flair of his own, bootstrap. The final shot of these 60 seconds pulls tight on Barbosa and, of course, his simian pet. You know, I completely forgot to mention that we had a catchphrase alert in yesterday's minute. Good job. I know. I completely dropped the ball. And you make fun of me all the time. Not all the time, just a little bit. Once or <laughs> yeah. twice. Once or twice in the whole show. <laughs> we did talk about it, but we never actually identified it as a Pirates of the Caribbean catchphrase. And so I did want to mention that and give that the proper shout out it deserves. And Barbosa says, I'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request. Means no. <laughs> So yeah, that was just a quick mention. I don't want to get into that, but I did want to make sure that we recognize that it is a catchphrase. So it's a catchphrase. What do you have for this minute? What's up, Heather? Well, matey, <laughs> everything's getting really exciting. Because that's the pirate here. word of the week. <laughs> Got to use it. 
Everything's getting very exciting around here. Elizabeth's on the ship trying to negotiate with Barbosa and learning that the medallion does mean something to these pirates. So you didn't like my summary. You had to go and throw your own summary together. Yep. You know, I take great pride in my minute-by-minute minute summaries here. There is a format. Actually, I have kind of this format in mind. The first time, or when I do the rehash in the previous minute, I actually throw in a lot of flair and different ideas and maybe some creativity. But then in the in this minute, it's usually maybe not so creative, more kind of by the book. Sometimes I do get a little carried away and throw some of that in there. But I actually do have kind of a method to my madness on that that I try and stick to. It's pretty crazy that that's how I think about it. But that is the truth. Hey, it makes sense. So you'll see that. So it's trying to like the serious tone for the new minute, but then the comedy kind of routine, if you will. Not that I'm a comedian. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You understand. I put a little more creativity yes. into it. I give myself a little more leeway, to, so to speak. But yesterday I teased monkey data and ooh, I did... Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Jeez. Foley artist here. Yeah, so I did want to bring some of the monkey data back. I didn't want to tease it yesterday and then not do any of it all. I do have quite a bit about the monkey, and I decided that I would spread it out across things and maybe hit it on the appropriate scenes when we get there. Otherwise, we'll be talking about things that have not yet happened yet, and I didn't want to do that. So we'll just make a quick intro for the monkey today, and then I'll mention a few generalities for now, and then we can just leave it at that and avoid any spoilers, and then I'm safe from the wrath of Heather. So, so the this... Uh show is full of intros today yeah it's an intro show <laughs> this is all intros actually what we're gonna Monkey do intros. we're gonna we're gonna redo the intros for every minute by minute podcast out there and we're just gonna have this that. episode that's all it is exactly <laughs> hope you all enjoy <laughs> no but actually in the curse of the black pearl it did involve two capuchin monkeys who alternated in the part of captain barbosa's pet that rode on his shoulder throughout much of the film Tara is a 10-year-old female monkey, and Levi is an 8-year-old male. Well, at the time, anyways. we got to add, <laughs> what, 14 years of that now. The costumes that the monkeys wore throughout the film were custom-made for a comfortable fit. Because you have to have your monkey in a costume that fits comfortably. I mean, he's already, like, <laughs> bouncing around up there. That's not a euphemism. What is going on with you? I didn't say, I didn't say you did. Uh, no, you, you gave me the in-studio look that... Like I dress up my monkey. Uh, my monkey does not wear a costume, so we're not even going to go there. We're going to go. We're going to talk about this the is taking costume. A very bad turn. Yeah, you started it. So the monkeys, you got to have them in a nice, comfortable outfit. That's all I'm saying. Especially they're already agitated. They're not really agitated, but they're well, fiddling around. They got ADD. He's sad. He can't talk to anybody else. Yeah, exactly. Nobody else will play with him. All he can talk to is his trainer. Well, see, and so that's why you got to make him as comfortable as possible. The swing that the monkey sits on and jumps from in some scenes was also custom made by the trainer. Both monkeys were used to being on the swing as well as jumping off and on it and all that good stuff. So all the trainer had to do was verbally cue the monkey or the monkeys, since there were two of them, to achieve any action that they really wanted to have happen. Except looking straight. Yeah, except looking straight. To get the monkey to walk in various directions, the trainer stood off camera and used a laser pointer to help guide the animals. Really? It seems like all animals love the laser pointer. <laughs> it's true. It's very true because we do the dogs and the cat and the birds. Even the fish follow the laser pointer. That they do. See, everything loves to chase the laser pointer. So it's, it's Even a good our visiting technique. guinea pig played with the laser. I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> Heather once lasers on sharks 
All I want Where is freaking shocks with lasers. It's, I know what it oh, is. Do but you really? Why do you say I want lasers on sharks? Because <laughs> you're experimenting I play- with lasers and guinea pigs. <laughs> now you're taking us off a tangent. The lead animal trainer for The Curse of the Black Pearl was Ursula Bronner. She amassed more than 60 animal trainer credits in film and TV over her career thus far. And she actually started back in 1987 with the Dom DeLuise show and most recently working on The Conjuring 2 and the soon-to-be-released Once Upon a Time in Venice. And she's a trainer and co-owner at Animals of Hollywood, working with dogs, cats, birds, mice, and rats. But the Capuchins in Pirates of the Caribbean are from Steve Martin's Working Wildlife. Steve Martin? Really? Not that Steve Martin. Oh. Different Steve Martin. The same Steve Martin we were talking about yesterday? Like that, but a different person. (laughs) And then other credits for Tara and Levi include Blue Collar TV, Bruce Almighty, Californication, ESPN, Urban Tarzan, AT&T, and Babe Pig in the City. So not friends. Not friends. But so I take it all monkeys look alike to you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for Heather's blatant monkey so, racism. So you said Bruce Almighty? Yeah. Well, that's That great. I did. Wow. Exactly. Very cool. You can't cover your species. I'm just, species I'm just, I'm just covering over what you just said. So <laughs> we're just, we're just going she's past pretending that. Pretending that that didn't even happen. Exactly. It's always rough when somebody gets called out for their blatant racism. <laughs> you know, I really feel for Tara and Levi. <laughs> now that we got that important animal stuff out of the way, I guess we can talk maybe about what's going on in the rest of the minute that's beyond animals. If there is anything beyond animals, did, I'm not sure. Did you mention what kind of monkeys they were? Yeah, capuchin. Yeah, but did you mention what exactly kind of no, capuchin? No, I didn't. Oh, I have that. Yeah, and we're all waiting patiently. Yeah, <laughs> it's right here. Just a second. Strangers in the night. I think it's white-throated. Yes, white-throated capuchins. I just wanted to clarify. So all white-throated capuchins look the same to you. Is that what you're saying? That they do. (laughs) There you go. Okay. Man, we're taking a rough turn already, and we just started, it seems like. Now, we should actually try and get back to the minute once at hand and and leave the monkey talk behind. That's for monkeys by minute or something like that. That, I really apologize. First, it was potty humor the other day. Now she's these sound effects. You know, I don't even know what to say to these people out there. I I really do apologize to you guys. But if we're actually going to get serious and talk about what's happening in the minute, there is this kind of circle of life, if you want to call it that, in full effect now. Now you're talking about Lion King? Yeah, Lion King. It's always about the animals. And we get back to things that the writers actually set up previously. In this instance, it's the Estrella, the maid scene. And Estrella plants the thought in Elizabeth's head. That's when... Pintel, Rigetti, and the rest of these pirate marauders enter the Swan Mansion are about to capture her. She runs into Estrella, and Estrella says, Pirates are here to get you. You're the governor's daughter. Not just Elizabeth, but we, the audience, are also getting that seed planted in our heads, which explains and maybe makes it believable that Elizabeth would lie about her last name. So she says it was Turner. And things are being set up for another piece of this puzzle that we will finally fill in the gaps here, or at least for Jack coming up here in the next few minutes, particularly maybe a jail scene, but we'll get into that a bit later. Another teaser? That's what I am. Got to keep the people coming back. They're like, oh, I've never seen this. I don't know what's going to happen next. So they got to, you know, they're just sitting there like, I can't believe we're... They're waiting on pins and needles every single day. They're all watching one minute at a time at home. So... They're like, man, this is going to take forever to watch this movie. (laughs) Like, honey, we're watching the minute now. You know, that kind of thing. That's all we have time for is the minute. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. 
Man, this is really taking a turn. It's going to take forever. Hopefully we can actually get through some real meat of this episode here. Estrella, having that seed planted in our mind and Elizabeth's mind, and it all makes sense. I mean, we don't flinch or and we don't even wonder why she changed her name. It's simply a smart move, I think, from the writer's standpoint to do that. Yeah. So that they don't know that she's the governor's daughter. Exactly. Because that's yeah. still what's in her mind. Yeah. Or at least part of it. Yeah. And now I'm reading into your mind here, Heather. And it's that whole love genre thing that you keep wanting to go back to at some points. She really wants to be Turner. Exactly. I mean, she always likes to she get back to it. She writes it on her notebook, Elizabeth Turner. <laughs> she practices hearts. writing. The exclamation point with a little heart on yeah. the end. She practices writing it in cursive. I mean, that's what hits me over the head like a bed warmer is the <laughs> Will's last name. That's <laughs> That's what it is. Bonk. Will is on her mind. That's what she wants. She's showing us that she's a strong woman. She has all this confidence of what to do, doing what she believes is right. And then there's that one lingering bit of just throwing the Turner name out that's like proclaiming her love for Will. Right. She could have said Turner or she could have said Norrington. Anybody, or yeah. Anything else. Well, she's- Norrington probably wouldn't have been a good choice being that he's the Commodore. Uh, well, yeah. Like, you're you're right, the Commodore's but- daughter? Yeah. You know, that wouldn't have gone over well. But anyway. But yeah, so I see what you're saying. She could have named anybody in the yeah. town Joe Smith, but Turner was on her, her mind for yes. sure. I think Turner's always on her well, mind. That is true. I mean, she just actually needs to step up now and say, hey, Will, you and me, babe. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I hope this confidence is solidified for her after all this pirate incident that's going on as she's showing herself to be fairly strong and know what to do, that she can finally just step up to her dad and say, man, I've had this wrath of pirates and all this misfortune, and I'm going to go hang out with Will. And hopefully her dad <laughs> would just say, okay, and then maybe he'll get over it. Uh, somehow I don't think in this 18th century that women actually said they're going to go hang out uh, with a guy. Yeah, you're or right. She, she said she that, was going to, she wanted to Netflix and chill is what she said. <laughs> yeah. Or that they go up to the guy and ask them out. I don't think that was just the norm back then. It wasn't, but Elizabeth <laughs> is breaking all those norm rules. She's now here negotiating or trying to negotiate with pirates. She's a strong, independent woman. Do you have something against strong, independent women? Kind of. No, so, I'm just kidding. <laughs> man, the racism, the sexism, man, it just abounds with you. Man, send all your hate mail, as usual, to Heather, BlackPearlMinute.com. There's nothing wrong with strong, independent women. Exactly. So she can set that bar. Maybe she's the one who actually changes the rules. Maybe she does. And on that note of strength, as we try to get actually back to some of the minute stuff, as we put down our giant rum glasses here. (laughs) Our mugs. Our mugs. uh, We do have this back and forth of like, everyone's calling each other's bluffs on this minute, or at least in this particular scene. And so Elizabeth thinks she has this whole pirates attacking Port Royal thing figured out, you know, that they're here for the medallion. I'm the governor's daughter. All this kind of good stuff. But then there's that momentary lapse again where she kind of loses that confidence. The same kind of loss of confidence that we saw when she was being rowed in or on those boats coming into the pirate ship or to the Black Pearl. And there's this look of being completely wrong for a second on her face. Yeah, total confusion was what I got. Yeah, there's no missing it. You can see because she totally gets like, oh, they're, wait, I thought they wanted the medallion. And then now they're saying that they don't care. Then she regains her composure to take the bluff to the next step, and that's kind of letting the chain drop. She's surprised by their reaction, and then... Oh, I'll test them again. Yeah, then I'm going to... It's like, oh, they're pirates. Yeah. 
damn these pirates. Okay, <laughs> yeah. that's it. I'm going to try and drop it and I'll see what they do. Yeah, let's test them and see what happens. When the pirates flinch, they get like this huge flinch oh. when they see it drop. She gets that, I got you red-handed look. The smug, I won, now I'm going to negotiate yeah. my terms kind of thing. Well, the whole boat all said, no! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and jumped towards her. The whole boat. Because the- everybody is totally into what's going on right now. All the pirates are sitting there. And they're all like totally focused on the whole situation. And as soon as the, she lets that train drop some, everybody jumps forward like they're going to all go catch it and yells out, no. So we also get the name Bootstrap dropped by Pintel in this particular minute. And that is going to actually lead into more. There's So it's again, it's all this setup that's happening for this final puzzle piece that's going on that's going to appear in the next minute or so with Jack and the jail cell thing. So we're starting to get some of those interactions. We're finding out that it's, Turner is Bootstrap and this whole last name thing. So that's what we're actually seeing there. Yeah, we don't know who Bootstrap is yet. As you were talking about, when the crew flinches, I mean, there's such a range of emotions and there's like very little being said, actually. It's just all this emotion in their faces, really. Yeah. I mean, besides they're saying Turner, Turner, and they're whispering Turner. He asks, what's your name? She says, it's Elizabeth Turner. And he turns around and says, Turner. Or, you know, Miss Turner, and then the rest of the crew starts whispering Turner, and that's when Pentel says bootstrap. So it's all in their faces. I mean, Barbosa takes the lead to try and sell her that the medallion is not important, and this is where we're seeing all these pirate emotions start yeah. on these pirates. And, oh, by the way, I just love his pirate vernacular throughout this whole minute, and maybe actually in the next couple of minutes. Well, it's all during this stay on our Black Pearl here. I mean, he says things like, me holds are bursting with swag. That bit of shine matters to us. I mean, there's some pretty cool words that are going on there. I just like referring to gold as shine. (laughs) If you have so much gold that you can just refer to it as shine, shine. that's a pretty good sign. (laughs) Exactly. And who doesn't want your holds bursting with swag? Yeah, and then they they call it swag. Swag and shine. Uh, Shine has to be my favorite word for gold right now. Shine. I mean, I got a lot of shine. And he says, why? Why would we want that bit of gold? Well, that was his trickery. But back to where I was going with the crew... I mean, they're really focused on the medallion. It's like they're drooling over it. They're concerned about it. And about half of them start to go along with Barbosa when he's telling her that the medallion means nothing to him. There's that kind of nervous laugh and that you see some with cracked smiles. While others are really still focused on the medallion and looking worried that she's going to drop it. Yeah, they totally are. And it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting scene. To see all the different pirates like this and then to see Elizabeth even go from her confidence and then it kind of goes, I thought that's what you needed. Oh, they're tricking me. She totally changes everything up again. Well, if that's the case, I'm going to toss it over the side. Yeah, because that's where she calls their bluff. But And and that's also when all the pirates flinch and that's when she pretends to drop it. But they all get giddy when they hear the name Turner. So we're getting another piece of the clue of the importance of the name Turner. So we have Turner, Bootstrap. So all of these things are being laid out by the writers that are going to show up in this kind of next scene that we really start to make another connection and and really have that kind of final puzzle piece starting to be laid in place. And then Barbosa, instead of addressing her, Miss Turner, he actually turns around like he's telling the whole crew, this is Miss Turner. Yeah, he is. So the whole crew knows instead of addressing her. He wasn't addressing her. He was addressing the, he was addressing his pirate crew. Like, hey, this is Miss Turner. Yeah. And that's when the pirates go, oh my God, basically. Yeah. They are pretty ecstatic that Miss Turner is on board. Did you notice the cannon next to Elizabeth? When she's holding the medallion over the side. 
I don't recall a can in there. So you can just barely see it. It's just like the top part of it, but it's really ornately decorated. And so this again comes back to the whole thing that I've said a thousand times that I'm just really impressed with a lot of the details on the set here. And then since Heather brought it up yesterday, yeah, we had to do a little history today. <laughs> brought to you by Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. <laughs> so the canon of the late 1600s was an ornate masterpiece of the foundry's art, basically. It's covered with floral reliefs, scrolls, heavy moldings, and the most characteristic of which was perhaps the banded muzzle. It's that bulbous bit of ornamentation that had been popular with designers since the days of the bombards. The flared or bell-shaped muzzle did not supplant the banded muzzle until the 18th century, and while the flaring bell is usually characteristic of ordnance found between 1730 and 1830, some banded muzzle guns were made as late as 1746. By 1750, however, design and construction were fairly well standardized in a gun of much cleaner lines rather than the cannon say that we are seeing before in the 1600s or early 1700s. And although, as yet, there had been no sharp break with older traditions, the shape and weight of the cannon in relation to the stresses of firing were becoming increasingly important to the men who were actually designing them. It just gets me to think because there was definitely a craftsmanship to things of the past. And before that, automation and mass production took hold. You know, you really see the artistry in just things that were made. Right. You don't really get that unless, you know, that handmade feel or at least all that ornamentation that we do now. Well, I was curious... Since you're talking about ornamentation on the cannons, did all cannons come with some sort of ornamentation or was that, you're giving me that look like. Well, that I don't know if all cannons or were. was it just more of the pricier ones and then the others were plain or. I don't think so. No. From they were just. I don't know. And we were, you know, maybe somebody in the audience has information more on that, but I didn't get that far deep into the canon hole because I know people probably were not necessarily interested in it. So thanks for bringing that up again and pointing that <laughs> out, Heather. <laughs> but, anyways, the craftsmen that were designing it did put a lot of ornamentation on some of the guns. And just even some of my readings, some of the ornamentation wasn't just ornamentation, but it was neatly designed. It did have a purpose, some of it did. So some had purpose, some of it was just designed, but then as they're saying in what I was just telling you about, and that was actually information that I dug up with the National Park Service and some of their armory and things, because you know I am an antique arms and armory expert. You are. In my own mind. Yes. That they did end up moving away from the practice of putting a lot of ornamentation on cannons and making it more streamlined and, and really taking the idea of, okay, how is this going to affect the cannon and the stresses of firing it? What's going to make it more strong? So they did end up making them more clean lines. But you can clearly see that there is a lot of decoration or ornamentation on the cannon, mm -hmm. at least in the back half of that cannon on the black pearl here. Well, making them more clean lined, I would imagine, is probably cheaper anyway. That and I, yeah, I don't know, you know, what the cost differences were, but I'm sure it definitely was cheaper for them to do as they were maybe producing more cannons. Yeah. It just shows that they were works of art. Even things like door hinges we mentioned in the Swan Mansion earlier. Yeah. In our earlier all... episodes were very ornately designed. Right. I've semi-recently been in a mid-19th century house that was built in the 1860s, and that's because it was being renovated for historical and nonprofit work. I made a point that the hardware was being saved just for that artistry reason. I didn't want to see him throw out old door hinges and update it without keeping them or at least trying to incorporate it because it would have been a real shame. I mean, these things were really designed nicely, and now you see ours are just kind of machine cheapo yeah. things, but these things were really spectacular. 
Well, you should have just had them get rid of them, man. You know. Yeah. Kind of said, well, "Oh, I'll take those off. People, I'll take care of those for you." I actually, I did let somebody know whose father owned the house before it was, say, taken to this nonprofit, and let him know that they would be available to him if he wanted them. Mm. Not his father, actually. I should say his family did because his. Yeah, so it's a whole long story. Yeah. But his back in the 1800s, his ancestry owned and founded that land and that house. But anyways, or homesteaded it. And so calling me back to something yesterday about history, Heather asked about poop deck when she got into a really childish thing that we cannot forgive. And she was asking about the poop deck and where the name came from. So the name originates from the French word for stern. Thus, the poop deck is technically a stern deck, which in sailing ships was usually elevated as the roof of the stern or after cabin, also known as the poop cabin. In sailing ships, with the helmsman at the stern, an elevated position was ideal for both navigation and observation of crew and sails. That's the history for today. Well, thank you. So we... We, I feel smarter even. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just seemed like a beast of an episode to get through for some reason. We were all over the place. This one's going to go down. It's not going to be able to be followed. Yeah. This is just going to be more of a all over the place thing. The people will be scratching their heads out there for sure. What are they talking about? Yeah. We should probably just say, okay, thanks. And we'll, we'll just close this off and then move on to the next one and pretend this one never happened. Even though it's maybe a fairly important minute, but yes. we'll just kind of let it go there. So we'll be back tomorrow with minute 41 of the Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Don't forget that you can win a Pirates of the Caribbean prize package just for leaving us a review on iTunes. Check out all the details on BlackPearlMinute.com. Until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Leave us a review, matey. Thanks for joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Have something to say? Then give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. If you like the show, then do us a favor and leave a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, matey. You can also contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. Visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash pirates of the Caribbean minute, twitter.com slash blackpearlmin, and on soundcloud.com slash pirates of the Caribbean, where we post additional content, have post-episode discussions, and share our favorite show clips. Now see you next time, scallywags.